Hello, John Terrell here. Pull a chair up to the fireside at Chateau Cube, where we discuss life, limited magic, and cube draft. Our guest today is Stephen Conifal, aka the person who snapped up the happy moniker Cube Draft on various social media. Steve has been playing magic since revised, and he has designed seven cubes. His Innistrad Extended Cube blends the best of Innistrad and Shadows blocks into one cohesive gothic horror environment. It is one of 10 cubes featured at KubeCon, a competitive cube event that will take place in Madison, Wisconsin when COVID permits. Steve crafts environments that are flavorful, that evoke a sense of place, and that are mementos of particular moments in magic's history, and, by extension, our own personal histories as well. I cannot introduce Steve, even for a magic podcast, without mentioning that he is a pediatric intensive care unit nurse. He is a selfless, caring person, and I am deeply grateful for his pursuit of his calling. I am delighted to welcome Stephen Conifal to Chateau Cube. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me, John. This is great. Could you introduce some of the cubes that you've designed and what some of your design interests are, your design priorities are in cube? <laughs> so let me, let me, how much time you got? Where do I begin? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'll start from the beginning. I you know, was kind of late to cube. It was around when Magic Core Set 2013 came about and you know, the draft set was very great. It's probably you know, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, draft formats as far as a core set goes. And around that time, I started designing what I call the Corset Cube. And, and recently I call it like Corset 20XX and because it's been updated every year you know, when a core set comes out. Would you tell us about Corset 2013 a little bit for viewers who may not, or viewers, for listeners? This is a podcast. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah right. Who may not remember or may not have drafted M13? M13, it was, you know, it was a very aggressive format. So the two years before, you know, you had the Titans. This year, it did not have the Titans. However, you know, it did have Thrag Tusk, which was, you know, the front face of that core set, or at least it was the marquee card to pick up, especially yeah. if you're playing standard, you know, at the time. Um, yeah, Restoration Angel and Thrag Tusk, man, best friends forever. Seriously. Yeah. It's returning mechanic was exalted. Kind of exciting people thinking like, oh, Noble Hierarch will be reprinted. Well, alas, it was only in black cards and white cards. So no Noble Hierarch. But what I remember liking about the format was, you know, it was a aggressive combat centric set. And, and that's kind of what I like about Magic, especially core sets. It's very bread and butter sort of things. And you play some dudes, you draft some removal and may the best man win or woman or person. You know, I, I remember, you know, drafting different strategies where there there wasn't anything that was stronger than the other. You know, kind of what I think of a rock, paper, scissors type of format where it, it felt, you know, evenly matched. But I will say that black was definitely one of the strongest, if not the strongest color in that set. I mean, the removal was great. You had murder. That's the first time that was printed. Vampire Nighthawk was uh, reprinted. Oh, yeah. That came back for that set. Mutilate was also reprinted and throwing in some rainbow you know, commons, I mean, especially with the Exalted trigger, just this black spirit that can't block and can't be blocked. But, you know, so great when you had Exalted triggers, you know, swinging for three or something. Oh, yeah. Tormented Soul or that's something. One. Yep. Tormented Soul. Yeah, that was good stuff. You know, I just yeah, that's it. cool. 
But anyway, so as far as liking that, I, I kind of, I don't know how I jumped onto the idea, but something just kind of came to mind. It's like, you know, why don't I, what, what would happen if we brought in like the best of like the core sets and, you know, the Titans and Bane Slayer Angel, which I know you love, you know, I know it's your favorite card. <laughs> uh -huh, my, my favorite card ever. Yes. Uh, full disclosure, I have a video for which I'll make a plug. Oh, you do? Oh, my, I'm, I'm not aware yeah. of it. Um, yeah, it just it just so happens you've struck on precisely the topic of one of my <laughs> exactly one of my videos in which I argue against running Bane Slayer Angel in one's queue, although not against running Bane Slayer Angel in in general, but in particular kinds of environments, or at least thinking about how it interacts with one's goals in one's environment. Absolutely. But anyway, it's an iconic iconic card and it marked a sea change in magic where it felt like the design of creatures was taking a very different turn and wizards was really putting their stamp on that with Baneslayer Angel making a statement. So I totally understand the appeal of the card and the, you know, this iconic status of the card. Totally. Basically, you know, I just kind of wanted to like make the the best course set that I could think of. And this was also a project where I knew every summer I could continue to evolve, see what cards you know could be upgraded. Something that changes at a pretty at a regular rate. I know from firsthand experience it can be exhausting in a certain way to keep up with all of the magic sets that are being released. Not only the main sets, but supplemental project like commander sets and so on. And keep up with all of these, keep up with the constant spoiler season and be uh, pushing one's cube design. I like restricting for one's own sanity um, the regularity with which one updates the cube. Course set sounds like an awesome way of going about doing that. You're kind of like hitting nail on the head when it comes to, you know, trying to limit the insanity. Because as you've you know, alluded to, I've designed a few cubes and now it's kind of like this process of trying to figure out, oh, do I, did I grab these cards for my peasant cube? And what do I, what do I forget to add to the historic cube? Should I prioritize this for, you know, the corset cube when the corset comes out? It does get, you know, I, I wouldn't say frustrating, but maybe we'll call it like a rigorous mental exercise in trying to figure out, you know, what I have, what do I need? I'm, I'm using bunny quotes on need, you know. I don't think anybody like, needs anything when it comes to cardboard, but it's definitely a really nice to have. Yeah, it's also a rigorous exercise of one's pocketbook to be updating seven cubes at the same time. Which, you know, thankfully, a lot of them, you know, don't really require too many updates unless there's something, you know, flavorful. And we can talk about the uh, the Innistrad cube, mm. which Innistrad is just a uh, beloved, you know, draft set. And Yeah, we... such a good format. I love that draft format. Totally. And when I went back to Shadows, it just seemed like a really great opportunity to update that. It's like, oh, this is, this is sweet. And occasionally you see cards that either through flavor text or through you know, the imagery, some of the iconography you can pick out like Addison's, you know, you know we're gonna call it her hook or her, you know, her equivalent of our, you know, you know crucifix um, or whatnot. You know, for, you know, for flavor when, you know, just throw that, you know, in there too. That's a super, super sweet environment. I'd like to play this game, if you don't mind, whereby we pick a class of card to talk about. Do you do you have a D6 handy? I got my D6. Okay, sweet. So here's my plan. One of us will roll for a color, and another one of us will roll for a CMC. I'm going to roll for color, and we've got a four, so that's red. 
Red. Okay, sweet. All right, I'm going to roll my d6 for CMC. Okay, five. Red fives. This is, I know this is going to be a challenge for you with seven cubes, but I don't know, pick a, pick a cube or pick an iconic red five that you think is worth highlighting and talking about a little bit, if you would. The, the first one that comes to mind is, you know, this is maybe recency bias, but it would be a glory bringer. Um, you know, that's a, a three and two red for a four, four dragon that has haste and flying. And when it attacks, you can exert it. And when you do, it deals four damage to target creature, I believe. And with the exertion, yeah, it doesn't untap during your next untap step. But I mean, that's a pretty strong card. And you know, at least it you know, more than you know, Alan Cat, it's uh, some standard play. There's some pioneer speculation to it, but I haven't really seen that fleshed out and you know, constructed. But you know, you know, you talk about a card that has value. I mean, you know, on you know the turn that you play it, assuming it hits the table, it's gonna get in for four, assuming there's no blockers with reach or flying it's going to hit your opponent for four and it gets to kill off one of your opponents for toughness or less dude so you know talk about a you know you get a lot of you know you, you get what you pay for that ain't too shabby at all yeah that's really good i'm i'm with you glory bringer is great glory bringer is the only five cmc red creature that i run in my main cube it's the only red five creature i run even Running Glorybringer, I've felt more and more as slightly loose. Red five-drop creatures operate in kind of a funny space. In the classic red aggro slide decks, red deck wins decks, they don't want to go up to five at all. They'd often prefer not to go up to four if possible, but just keep everything one, two, and three and be extremely lean. So I don't badly want to put Glorybringer in that deck. And then red decks that want to go bigger or red decks that want to do some cheaty stuff uh, with sneak attack and that kind of thing also aren't super thrilled with Glorybringer. It's not, it's not quite going big enough. So I'm, I'm expressing my reservations about Glorybringer, but I love the card and I am still running it. It's the only only red five I run. And I do think it is better than um, Thundermaw Hellkite. Or at least it was a great card in M13. I try to... Yeah. 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 Nudge, nudge, say no more. Uh, (laughs) That's great. That's good. You snuck some Monty Python in on us. I don't know what Thundermaw Hellkite has to do with Monty Python, but I'm sure we can find a a connection. (laughs) You know, what Planeswalkers, and really the only one I can think of is the original Chandra, which a little underwhelming, but she was also the first, you know, one of the first five, the Lauren five as Meryl calls them. So, I mean, that was them basically deposing the waters. So I think it's really no fault of Chandra or her own. She's had time to develop. And, you know, we now have Chandra Torch of the Defiance, that super great, you know, Planeswalker for four mana. Still, you know, that, you know, she gets the job done. Yeah, she does. She's very good. And the new one from M20, Awakened Inferno, or she's the mythic one from M20, uh, who's a six drop. She's very good. And then Flamecaller, of course, from Oath of the Gatewatch, another six drop. Very good. The Sarkin from War, he's a five drop, isn't he? I was cubing him for a while. I forgot about that. I was thinking like, wow, have they really printed other mono red planeswalkers? And you're absolutely right. Um, Yeah, you know, that's a Fine one. I mean, essentially, he's a you know, you know, four four, you know, hasty, you know, for at least for his plus one. Yeah, he's a one of these planeswalkers who's effectively a creature, like Gideon Blackblade. He's technically a planeswalker, but he functions very much in the creature space. 
We'd kind of danced around this question a little bit earlier, but you've mentioned you have seven cubes that you maintain or have maintained. Cubes. And I was thinking of going back to that because I know you, you know, talked about, you know, sort of like the finance of trying to maintain cubes, <laughs> yeah. which in a way is kind of my, um, I, I like cube as well because you're, you know, you're essentially, you know, creating a draft environment that you don't have to always drop $14 a week or however much it is for, you know, a, another draft. Yeah. And your friends don't, for sure, you know, you're doing this for your friends and compatriots to come and draft for free. Absolutely. Presumably, I guess, you, I mean, you don't have to do that, but. Oh, no, no, no. I, you know, as, as the um, magic community says, you know, it, it's all about the gathering. You know, it's all about bringing yeah. people together. And, and that's, you know, kind of what it is. Once a week, my buddy Mike and I would, you know, meet up for lunch and play, play, a, cube, play a cube draft and do you know, Winston or Winchester or just for lunch? Is this like a three martini lunch and you're there all afternoon or how does this work? Yeah, yeah. By three martinis, I mean, you know, we go to um, a place called uh, the Panda Garden. And, you know, I'll just get my you know, lo mein and brown rice. Well, you've described all these different environments that you have developed, that you curate. Are there any through lines to all of these different cubes or what are some of the features that you're most interested in fostering? I listen to your videos, I listen to Cube for Two, um, and also like a handful of podcasts on Limited and Draft, and there's a lot of nuance and theory to it that I appreciate from a gameplay perspective, but when it comes to design, I'm very much you know, kind of like an is it in mind. I just kind of put it together and see what happens, and if this is a device that explodes in my face, I say, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll try another project. <laughs> And see where it goes. Yeah, you know, and a lot of it is just from play testing and just trying something out and you know, getting critique, which I, I really like when you know I had these in these weekly you know meetings with Mike. You know, he's a he's a smart guy, um, you know, as a former pro player, and he also, you know, enjoys Cube from a design standpoint as well as from playing and drafting position. We should give him a shout out. You've mentioned Mike a few times. So this is Mike Brigoli. I've got some relationship with him on Twitter as well. He's an awesome guy. I've never met him in person, of course, but that's great. He's a regular playing buddy for you and a fine resource and a great thinker of magic. Oh, 100%. And um, and just getting you know feedback from playing and a lot of trial and error has kind of helped me sort of cultivate some card substitutions or inclusions and you know, development, you know, when we get to that. And you know, a lot of it is just sort of the trial and error and just see what comes up. You know, the the corset theme doesn't really have themes for draft other than, you know, what the corsets provide. And the same thing with the peasant cube. You know, honestly, peasant cube is, you know, just limited to commons and uncommons. So it's not in, inherently powerful. However, my peasant cube, um, it goes through history and looks at cards that were printed at common and uncommon that maybe they shouldn't have you know, been um, common and uncommon. You know, I have a original print, um, you know, Sylvan Library as an uncommon in Legends, and you know that's a that's a pretty strong card. That's a hell of a card, no doubt about it. Yeah, and you were just talking about Soul Ring, another hell of a card. Yeah, yeah, they have Mana Drain, you know, Demonic Tutor, Unlimited Clone. I remember kind of looking back, for me, um, Hypnotic Spectre had always been a rare in my mind. And then looking back, I'm like, wait, you're telling me this is an uncommon and unlimited? Now I have to find that copy. Um, that's the kind of things that, you know, I 
looked at when designing that. And then when Wizards was doing more master sets and supplemental sets, you know, look at cards that were rarer, mythic, and mm-hmm. that they downshifted. And I said, all right, here it is. You know, this is the opportunity to rise and shine. Let's you know find a place for it. You know, that's yeah, you know, really you know not necessarily something that you know I think I have a theme in mind. I, I will say, however, the one cube that comes to mind when I think, all right, I have I have an idea. I want to do it based on these five color pairs, and I want them to represent these things and roll with it. Was you know I call it the Gate Crash Cube, and it's not you know it's not a Ravnica themed set, but one idea that I became enamored with in that time at Gate Crash and Return to Ravnica was you didn't have an allied colored set, you didn't have an enemy colored set, you had kind of a mix and match set. I thought, you know, that, that was just something different. You know, that's just not something that uh, Wizards had done before. You had, you know, in, in Great Crash specifically. And I use that because Simic is my favorite guild or favorite color combination. And I'm not going to, you know, you know, don't at me, bro. You know, it's just, it just is what it is. I am bleeding. I, I did at you in my latest video. I quoted you, you about did, your yeah. love for yeah, Simic. Yeah. Like, yeah, we did it. We got there, boys. We <laughs> did it. Yeah, you know that that's you know that that's definitely like a huge part why I pick Gate Crash. But Gate Crash has guilds for you've got blue green Simic, you've got the white black Orzov, you have the blue black Demir, you have the red white um, Boros, and the red green Gruul. And as I said, this isn't just all enemy color, or all allied color. These are this is just yeah like a mix and match. And um, you know that that's that's really great design. So I started going with a cube that you know went with that and i tried to build it in a way similar to how gate crash or as far as more recently goes the like the guilds of ravnica and the ravnica allegiance where you've got these five different guilds but the abilities themselves try to overlap into each other which we may we were talking about earlier as far as trying to build a complete Ravnica extended cube it's really tough to try to have all these competing keyword abilities and you know say you wanted to play three colors how maybe the two abilities from combined guilds sort of go together I wanted to try to do that there's a subtle theme there where you know I was as far as planeswalkers go I was looking for you know female planeswalkers it's just like you know let the women have their day although in blue black Ashiok is the closest and I don't know if they identify with one gender or the other, but it's like, you know what, Ashiok, come on down. The idea was, you know, you look at these color pairs and try to have them kind of come together. So, you know, you were building, let's say, black-white, which I want to say had, you know, we'll say it's a, a vampire's theme, you know, black and white vampires. Red-white had kind of a go-white token strategy. There was some synergy in that it build the Mardu-colored deck you would find some success and i think there's some spells that definitely contributed to sense yam i mean it sounds like you'd have outs to aristocrats there for sure if you're going wide and you've got the vampires that can sack stuff yeah a hundred percent you know i'm just being able to play some tokens um and didn't necessarily have to be tribal I, i can't think of it being black white being in a situation where you play vampires and you get your vampire lord and pump them up it's like no it's just kind of it's more of a superficial thing it's if anything it's just entitled but the gameplay was playing with a drain life strategy being able to make 
you know, vampires and tokens and red and white just happen to make tokens. They're not vampires, but at the end of the day, you kind of try to smush them together. You have a decent go-wide strategy with color in between support. I mean, that's played with Lingering Souls and... Um, What's the other one? Yeah, Rally the Peasants, which, um, great card. You know, being able to pump your team and then flashback for, I think, two in a red to pump them again. Yeah, it's white on the front side and flashback is in red and it gives all your creatures plus two, plus zero oh until end of turn. Plus two, plus zero. Oh, it's basically um, like a um, trumpet or trumpet blast. Yeah, and one that's been printed in Oblivion. Um, so that's the one cube I it's a specific theme that wasn't really tied in a in a flavor sense. The other cubes, you know, my done, it was really just to kind of, you know, we're in this world, let's stick around for a little bit and see what we can discover. Like kind of like going on a hike or a nice walk or whatnot, just kind of looking around, whatnot, just for funsy, which kind of leads to the Mirage Cube. I want to interject a quick word thanking you all for the encouragement that you have long offered as I have learned more about creating magic content over the past year. I've made so many friends and forged partnerships that allow me to bring you content on new platforms and to bring a new cube to MTGO. For those who wish to support my work in other ways, please find my Patreon and my TCG Player affiliate links in the show notes. Thanks. Mirage is my favorite block of all time. You know, I mentioned, or maybe I didn't mention, I probably told you in passing, you know, I've been playing since Fallen Empire slash Revised. Mirage was the set where, you know, when I was collecting cards, I was just blown away with the, the entire aesthetic. I love the art. I like how they made the power and toughness a little bit bolder. The colors were brighter. But I didn't know what I was doing. I was a complete idiot. You know, I was just like kind of collecting cards. Like, oh, this is cool. Um, but still, I haven't really lost a lot of passion for that set just on a pure aesthetic. And it's really, I think, I would think a lot of people play magic because of that not specifically mirage but looking at that classic art which you know magic is lately turned away from it's a little bit more realistic there's a lot of iconography and i guess is what i'm saying there's a lot of you know really great imagery there that you know just really resonates from a fantasy perspective you know i've been collecting you know mirage bulk essentially for a long while now and i put that cube together just because i wanted to try to draft it mirage was actually the first set that was designed with draft in mind having played it it is it is unlike playing contemporary magic you know two two flyers for four seem like a really great deal led uh, line lines eye diamond definitely not draftable have i thought about putting in Frexian or not um maybe for a hot minute but really at the end of the day it's like mm, no pass but uh Hammer of a Garden, you know, that's that's still a great card. And if you happen to have, you know, eight mana at some point, you just cast Hammer of a Garden every turn from your graveyard, you know, and eventually you kill it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for playability, it is not in the upper echelon, but man, you know, that set just looks dynamite. It is just such a such yeah. beautiful art and work was put into that to make it such a good looking set. It's got this sort of similarly orientalist aesthetic as Arabian Nights. How does it compare for you to the the look and feel of the Arabian Nights cards? Similar. I think a lot of the art in Arabian Nights 
I, I want to say it, it looks a little bit more crude, but I don't mean that as as, a, as an insult. I think, you know, hmm. you know, Arabian Nights came out, but it's just, just kind of rough and raw. But that being said, it is, you know, Arabian Nights is literally the first top-down set, and it wasn't based in a fantasy world that was inspired by 1001 Arabian Nights. It literally is a world that has magic from the time of, you know, from the book. Mirage is, it's actually interesting as far as uh, the art goes. The art director at the time, although there were some artists that were commissioning pieces for Mirage and Visions, uh, a lot of the art wasn't done by freelance artists, but was actually the product of the art director at the time basically scouring art dealers and artists who have already made art and buying the license for that art. So like the art for for Mero, um, that wasn't a product of you know, somebody saying, hey, we have this idea for an elemental. It has the power and toughness equal to your hand. We want this, this, or that. Somebody had already made a piece, made an art piece of really weird guy in the in the bushes, and she said, hey, I want to use this art for a card. And somebody named a price. She wrote them a check, and they were able to use that art. So I think that makes things kind of interesting. And if you look at the um, you know kind of all the cards, you're not going to see a lot of cohesion like you would for contemporary sets, where the artists basically be on the same page when they say, we want to build this world. How do we want to make it look? Right. They've got a design book that they develop going into it that then they distribute to their artists. This is what vampires should look like on Exelon. These are the design cues. Yeah, there's a lot of iconic art to come out of Mirage, pacifism and memory lapse and mystical tutor. I don't know. There's a polymorph. That's great. Oh, man. Incinerate from Mirage. I love that incinerate art. It's so strange and evocative. I like that. It was either... Yeah, um, 10th edition or M12. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it was 10th edition. They reprinted Incinerate basically with the same effect. Just there was a soldier, and now there's pieces of a soldier that s- assemble a skeleton. Yeah, tough yeah. luck. Kid. People these days are sort of gaga for um, Seb McKinnon, and understandably so. He does this really beautiful, evocative stuff. Oh, absolutely. I think part of the reason for people's interest is not only his skill, but also the fact that he's doing stuff that looks just really quite different from what many other, I mean, his stuff looks different from other magic cards. And you can still identify individual artists, of course, and lots of people are doing amazing work. But McKinnon, his work does look more different, I think, in the same way that you're describing these the mirage art as being sort of patchwork, but in a way that is charming and gives a lot of personality to the set. Totally. If you want to talk about Seth McKinnon, have you seen the cycle of spells that, you know, they don't have kicker, but they have some underwriter where they do this. But if you pay two different colors, you get this effect. If you pay the wedge colors or something. Yeah, yeah, I have seen that. And they look like uh, cave paintings from like Lascaux or whatever. One of these prehistoric yeah, cave yeah, paintings. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I, those are sweet. Yeah, I mean, they're all done by Seb McKinnon. Spoiler season's fun. That Sharknado, we were talking about this on Twitter. I'm super excited about that card. That's the one I'm I'm highest on. Yeah, I actually comparison to um what you call it? the the um cloudkin um seer um because you're seer, yeah. 
effect will be on the ball if you cycle it. You get a 1-1 flyer that draws you a card. That's, you know, it's not terrible. And you can do that at instant speed. So if you need your blocker, yeah, you know, you got that for whatever reason. Or just want to do it at the end of the turn and be like, aha, I got you. I now have a 1-1 flyer that cantrips. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, they think there's a lot of versatility in that. And just like bringing that cycling is, you know, oh, it, it's I'm so great. excited about that. Yeah, cycling should be evergreen. That's that's my position. Cycling is just so good. Yeah, it really is. It makes makes cards so versatile. So Shark Typhoon, it's five and a blue for an enchantment. It's rare. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create an XX blue shark creature token with flying where X is that spell's converted mana cost. So now forget everything I just told you. Um <laughs> I don't think you're going to cast this for its main mode as this six mana enchantment. That's this build around thing. Six mana build around enchantment is not what I want to be doing. Yeah, Um, not likely at all. No, right. So here's the relevant bit. It has cycling for X and then one in a blue. When you cycle Shark Typhoon, you create an XX blue shark creature token with flying. So you can... You could cycle this for one and a blue, where X equals zero, and you just draw your card, and you know, fine, I guess. But you're probably going to cycle it for three or more, where X equals one, and you get a one-one out of it, and you draw a card. But it scales up, so if you draw this late in the game, you can dump six mana into it, where you're not casting it for an enchantment, but you're getting an air elemental out of it that draws you a card. Yeah, I think. The, the enchantment part, you know, trying to get this to stick and then just kind of maybe cast, you know, whatever that's a non-creature, you know, but it doesn't seem to be like a really great goal to have. I think you're kind of money where really this card is effectively an X two drop and, you know, you're just waiting for your time to cast it. You know, like you said, you could cast it immediately if you were really in dire straits, but you no, know, this is essentially... It really is a three drop. It's really, you know, you're just playing at the minimum rate. You've got your one one flyer and you can trip. But, you know, if you know, you're able to kind of bide your time, this can be as large as you want. It scales up, as you said. That's really what this is. It is. And it's cycling, which means that you do this at instant speed. So you can end step this on your opponent's turn. And since it's cycling, you're not casting it, so they can't counter it. And I mean, granted, that's marginal upside. How badly does the opponent want to counter this thing? But nevertheless, that's a it is upside. I think it's a really excellent card. I'm excited to put this in the cube. Absolutely. Amen to that. So if somebody were just starting out in cube design... What's some advice that you'd give them? Or what do you wish you'd known when you started your first cube? Play what you love. Kind of explore that a little bit. You know, what What do you want to do? Do you want to draft, you know, this set? Or do you want to draft this theme? And but the closest thing you get to is, you know, build what you like to play. You know, if you know, someone you know, wants to draft big, dumb things, um, I say, you know, go, go ahead. Play with, you know, all the titans and all of the... Um, you know, big spells, you know, go, go be a Timmy. Ikoria is going to give you some new tools. If you want to play with some big stompy creatures, that's for yeah. sure. If, if that's, you know, if that's what somebody wants to do, now's a great time to do it with Ikoria coming yeah. out relatively soon. Yeah. It's just to play what, you know, you like and also be mindful. There's, you know, there's no wrong way to build a cube. 
The the only thing I would I don't say caution, but you know, keep in mind that Cube is although I like di- designing cubes in the sense of I like the challenge of putting things together, and I think it is a fun activity in itself. At the end of the day, it's something that's meant to be played with other people. So you wanna create an environment that is relatively inviting. Or, you know, it really just should be inviting because it's it, it's magic. You want to, you know, play games that you want to keep playing. And you learn that as, you know, you play on and there will be some revisions. There will be some trial and error. So start with, you know, what you like to play and then take it from there as you play games. And that's, you know, just part of the learning process. Where should I start off with? I would recommend Popper or Peasant Cube just because I think that can be budget friendly. You know, it's, you know, magic is an expensive hobby. That's you know been iterated you know ad infinitum, but um, there are ways to play that don't hurt the budget. So I would recommend look at you know the commons and uncommons that are drafted. You know maybe like the draft chaff at your local game store and whatnot. Put something together and you know have a really great gameplay experience. Totally, that's a great idea. I've told this story before as well, but that's the way I started designing my first cube. I just pulled out boxes of draft chaff. And that was a quite economical way to get into Cube. I'd put in all this money into drafting up front, um, but then I wasn't laying out a whole bunch of money to start building the Cube proper. Uh, do you still maintain a Popper or a Peasant Cube? No, I don't. And even when I started, it wasn't Popper Peasant per se. It was. It still had rares and mythics and so on, and it was a heavy focus on Innistrad. I just love the format, as we've talked about. So I wanted to make a format that was inspired by Triple Innistrad, but also I didn't want to recreate the format. I wanted to do my own thing, but with elements that I really liked and with lessons that I'd learned from that limited environment. But probably half the cards or more of my very first version of that cube were Innistrad cards. Uh, It was definitely Innistrad heavy. Fair enough. I mean, that's really not a bad intro draft set to go with. Yeah, it was a great starting point. And starting with a lot of cards that come from a similar moment in time can also help focus one's design when one's starting a cube de novo, because presumably the cards are going to be operating in a similar mechanical space, even if their mechanics are actually different. You'd mentioned making the cube inviting. That's totally true. That's a fine line for designers to walk, I think, trying to decide how faithful they want to be to their own design vision and their own opinions about things and how much deference they want to pay to their playgroup's desires. I certainly try to do things that my playgroup would like, but then also designers have to say at some point, well, I am the designer of this thing, you know, and yeah. Yeah, and I think that's not, you know, unreasonable. You know, like I said, you want, you know, building a cube. I mean, part of it is, you know, the labor of love and building what you like to play. Not everybody is going to share like the same passions um, as you as the designer. Like you know, said, I am a Simic player. I'm going to draft Simic however I want, whenever I want. Not everybody, you know, likes Simic, and you know what? That's great because keeping things different, have everybody having different ideas and whatnot. That's all right. I think I'm thankful that the people that I've drafted with and been able to get have texted me asking, when are we going to do this again? 
no, it's been generally well received and people seem to like getting together and hanging out at a Dunkin' Donuts and just actually really weird. We're able to find, you know, a row of tables that nobody's sitting in. It's like, wow, this is great for eight people and nobody's here on this Friday night. You know, what are the odds? This is great. Maybe it just says something about me. I'm generally not difficult to please. I just like playing Magic Man. Um, I could build just a you know, a blue-green cube that's just filled with 360 cards for Simic and see what happens. Um, no, I, I don't think I'm ready to venture that far. I'm, I'm, I'm not completely crazy. I've been checked out. I, it's, it's, everything's fine. That's good. You're not evolving and adapting to a higher consciousness. I got that third arm removed when I was a child. You know, we don't need to go into the details of that. You don't need to graft on another third arm. (laughs) Limited in drafting, it is a great challenge skill testing format because it is something that, you know, you play on the go. You don't know what's going to come up in front of you, whether it is sealed, which in my opinion, you know, there's a lot more luck to seal than there is in draft, but draft really kind of harnesses um, you know the picks you make and the deck building where I just you know kind of lost that in constructed you know I'm kind of a goofball I make weird decks when I was playing modern and I really wasn't doing it for the win I just wanted to see if something would work and I was showing up to FMs and basically burning five dollars an entry and at some point I was like you know why am I doing this you know the people you know, they come to the FMs change and you know, I just kind of lost interest in constructed actually I think I kind of lucked out this year I sold all of my modern staples using bunny quotes here at the at the GP and because I just thought like oh it'd be great to have a modern collection where I can build literally every modern deck that's competitive but I stopped showing up to competitive events and it's like you know why do I do this why do I even need a DCI card you know you know, cube has just been this great creative outlet and a great challenge for me mentally and kind of keeps me you know, keeps me on the straight and narrow keeps me from you know getting into trouble basically and it's great to you know have a community that likes to play these games share ideas yeah it, it's just so much you know involved to it that can be really fun and really rewarding if you like to build if you like to create and you know, you like to surprise yourself you can do this macro design of the environment that's awesome Here I'm speaking from the standpoint of a cube designer, but then you get to be a cube player too, of course. And even if you're not designing a cube, playing cube and playing limited in general gives one opportunity for surprise and innovation at every turn. I used to play a lot more constructed as well. That was the main thing that I played. I like constructed. I got tired of it. I never had any aspirations to be a magic pro, but I went to you know, some GPs, of course, as one does constructed GPs, and I tried to do some testing for them and so on. Yeah, it just kind of felt like work, you know, playing the same deck over and over again and playing the same matches over and over again when metas were pretty well settled and solved. Yeah, I think that was a big, I mean, I mean, not something that I've actively declared, but I do think the advent of, you know, using the internet to net deck um, really make me feel a little, you know, bummed out about constructed for like a better phrasing. Because like I said, I, you know, want to bring nonsense decks. I mean, picture, you know, you're sitting down for a constructed, you know, you see me, I play Forest, you know, Noble Hierarch, oh, like, oh, maybe that guy's playing Infect. But then turn two, play Coiling Oracle, like, what the hell is this? You know, maybe I hit my land drop, maybe not, but then 
If I do turn three, play Solemn Simulacrum, you know, and I've had somebody call me out and be like, what the hell are you playing? Like your stupid EDH deck. And, you know, it's like try to swing for, you know, two with the Coiling Oracle and the Exalted Trigger and then, you know, go through some spell exchange, but then turn four, play Sagu Mauler. 6-6 six, six, Trample Hexproof from Cons of Tarkir. And it's just like getting a lot of reaction. What's really cool, like, it's not a great deck, but when it beats the really good decks, that's pretty satisfying. It doesn't happen that often, you know, but it's just me. I And like you, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to be a grinder. I just kind of want to play what I, you know, like to play. And that's really tough to do that when you have a solved metagame. Mike and I were talking about that. You know, if we were just playing modern, it would get old really quick if we were just bringing, you know, the same modern deck, our pet modern decks, and just trying to beat each other. And with Cube, I mean, you know, there's just so many possibilities and different game interactions and card interactions. And, and the other thing is, you know, it's, you know, which I've said to you, you know, I, I, I like Cube for the experience and learning new things like that are excellent. Seeing great gameplay, you know, that fills me with joy. There's definitely a non-zero number of times where I've died to something unexpected. I was like, oh my god, he had it! This is great! You know, I basically become like Randy Bueller, you know, inside my own head. It's like, holy crap, he had the helix! Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, that's a good Randy Bueller. You know, that's that's me. It's just, you know, magic is great, and a big part of that is just the exploration of what you can do. And you can absolutely do that with Cube have an idea in mind, go ahead and build it, and at the same time, learn something from it. And that's beautiful. Have you considered a career in impersonating magic personalities, doing some sort of stand-up comedy show? Huh. Um, I mean, I can't say that I've, I I have. I don't know. What do you think? Would I, how long would I have to avoid using speed stick just to get the average magic player just right? Oh, no. Not that sort of personality. I'm thinking, you know, you did your Randy Bueller, now do your like Brian David Marshall or do your... Oh, BDM. We are live from New York and I am talking... Yeah, that, that might be a little tough. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have some talents. I'm really more of like a jack of all trades and a master of none. I don't know how well the you know, magic impersonations would fly, but I, I appreciate the... Um, yeah, the praise for you know, Randy Bueller. Really, that's the only the only part of Randy Bueller I know is just that one clip from Original Ravnica and getting the helix, and it's probably the most exciting part of Magic that we've seen. Well, we didn't do the um, Steve in a tweet kind of thing. I just want to mention that you, uh, well, I, I think it's come up in conversation that you are on the front lines of the worldwide battle that is going on now with covid uh, yeah, for those viewers who don't know, um, you know, I am a pediatric ICU nurse. I work in a hospital in Western Mass. And yeah, I am working to take care of as many people as we can um, as they you know, keep coming in. This is very serious stuff. We're, we're just seeing a lot of it. And yeah, that's, that's what I say. I'm doing what I can and yeah, we'll get through this together. I appreciate you taking the time to chat. It's been wonderful talking to you in person. Likewise. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your experience and your insight. This has been wonderful. Great chatting with you, Steve. Yeah, same here. This is um, yeah, I'm super great. I'm glad that we're able to have this chat and people keep playing Cube and um, you know, go forth and go Cube Draft. All right. Well, you keep fighting the good fight and stay safe and hope you can get some Cube in here as well. 